Abandoned to Mother, the incredible, emotional, and life-changing transformation we take when we go on our journey into motherhood. From all things conception to postpartum and parenthood, I will be talking with parents and hearing their stories of navigating these times while sharing helpful information along the way. Together, we'll be covering all stories, no matter how you have chosen to conceive, birth, or parent. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to the Maiden to Mother Journey. I'm your podcast host, Kendall, and today we're speaking with the beautiful Caitlin. Caitlin, how are you going? Hi, I'm okay, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, um, who's in your family, what you do, where you live? Yeah, totally. So um, I'm Caitlin, as you introduced, and I live in Western Sydney, um, just at the foot of the Blue Mountains uh, with my husband, Sam, and my two daughters, Florence and Stella. Um, And I work as a birth and postpartum doula and birth after cesarean mentor, which is my new career, post kids career. (laughs) So, yeah. So amazing. Um, and for all of our listeners, me and Caitlin are actually re-recording this part. We've had some dramas with um, the first bit of the episode that we recorded. So Caitlin is a little bit sick now. So if she sounds a little bit different yeah. <laughs> throughout the episode, that's why. Yes, it's definitely still me, just a different day <laughs> and a croaky throat. <laughs> getting, getting all those daycare germs from the girls. Yeah, that's delightful. <laughs> So we'll start off um, with your journey with Florence. That was your journey from maiden to mother. Could you tell us about that? And could you tell us about what what was Florence planned and all about your conception with her? Yeah. So, um, yes, she was planned. Um, She came a little bit more um, quickly than we anticipated, though. So I um, had like a provisional sort of diagnosis of endometriosis from like way back when that I had sort of done a lot of um, holistic healthcare to improve my symptoms with that. And I had always just anticipated that when it came to having kids, I would probably still have issues conceiving and whatever else. So we'd sort of decided, well, I had long decided that we were going to have kids and I told my husband what was what was going on and basically <laughs> said, get on board. Um, this is happening then. So I'd been away on um, a, like a last hurrah trip to the US and then come back home and I did a bit of a detox um, from that and then pretty much went straight into trying to fall pregnant and couldn't believe it when we fell pregnant first month. I was so anxious because I thought, surely not. Like this isn't how it happens and this isn't this isn't how this was gonna go for me. Like I was gonna have trouble, there was gonna be problems, this can't be this this won't stick now. And so I mm-hmm. found um that first trimester was really challenging um emotionally because you kind of it's really hard. You don't have a lot of feedback from your body um, except symptoms, but like you don't have that sort of kicking and whatever else and that kind of thing that you have later on or like, you know, just growth and you just feel rubbish as well, which doesn't Mm -hmm. help. So you're just like feeling terrible, hoping that there's a reason for it. Um, And yeah, so it was quite nice to see the little heartbeat sort of ticking away. Um, I think, we had a dating scan I'm trying to remember whether we did or not I'm guessing we did um but yeah so I'd 
we yeah we fell pregnant really easily which was really just such a relief um and then it was a relief to know that she was well and good and everything was everything was tracking on um and so yeah we kind of just went full steam ahead but i was relying on a good few months trying to conceive to do a bit of research about mm. like what care i wanted and who i was going to contact and whatever else and I suddenly sort of found myself thrown in this and like having to make decisions about it immediately. Um, and we had always had private health insurance. So we'd upgraded that a year prior in preparation for this, um, you know, waiting periods and all of that nonsense. So that was all kind of ready to go. And then when I started looking into it, I thought, mm, you know what, I don't know that I think midwifery care is more aligned with my sort of values and what I want like it seems like it's that more sort of holistic um women-centered sort of natural birth focused um which is not really a term I like to use so much anymore but um hmm. that was sort of my goals early on is that you know I wanted to have just a normal birth like a straightforward uncomplicated vaginal birth and yeah I I think I was aware that midwifery care would be more aligned with me but I didn't really want fragmented care, um, which I didn't know there was another option at the time. And I was also quite anxious about breastfeeding and wanting to, that was a really important goal that I had and wanting to make sure that I had support after the birth to be able to breastfeed and be able to troubleshoot any problems that we might be having and whatever else. And so I ended up electing to go privately with an obstetrician because I knew that our local hospital um, tends to push you out pretty quickly once mm. you have, like if you have an uncomplicated birth, which was what I was going to have in my mind. And so I was like, well, I don't want to just be turfed out and sent home a few hours after birth um, if I'm having problems feeding or anything like that. And again, it's a shame I didn't have more time to be able to look into it because obviously the what I know now is that the you know the generally speaking in general terms the more the more you have going on with the birth the more likely there are to be problems um the less complicated the birth for feeding the more likely it is that it's just going to be a straightforward feeding journey mm. but also that there were other options for me as far as like continuity of midwifery care and yeah like midwifery group practice and caseload models, which was at my local hospital, which I didn't even know about until way too late in the game. Um, and it's so hard though for your so first hard. when you yeah. don't know any of this. Like mm -hmm. I wish I I had a pretty straightforward journey, but I wish I knew all of what I know before going into Oh, yeah. It's exactly why <laughs> yeah. I started the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's the number one thing I hear from people like from clients particularly all the time it's like I just wish I'd known yeah because so many women um I'm lucky to, I've actually had a lot of sort of first-time mum clients but um a lot of them aren't a lot of women are coming at it from like prior traumatic births and that's yeah. why they're looking into a doula and they say things like I just wish I'd known and it's like yeah we all we all kind of get that way um mm -hmm. you know we wish we could go back with the experience we have but yeah so yeah, it would have it would have been good to have known all of that. Um, and I think it's it's hard to know when you don't know what to search for either. Like when you're totally new to it, you kind of rely on your GP to give you the information. And sometimes the GPs don't even know as well. So 
things like home birth, for example, like my GP was like totally new to how that worked in Australia, but she's Dutch and she was happy to give me a referral for my second baby. This is jumping ahead a bit now, but like she didn't know kind of how that process worked. And um, I'm president of Home Birth New South Wales these days. And one of the biggest things we have issues with is GP referral, um, refusing referrals. And a lot of it's just to do with the fact that they don't actually know what that looks like in Australia and what they're actually signing and whatever else. So yeah mm, super interesting I didn't know that about you oh, yeah God. yeah you could talk about this for ages <laughs> yeah. I might pick it's your brain yeah. <laughs> to our original recording now yeah. but <laughs> I might I might pick your brain when this um when this call ends but yeah. so yeah. so going back to flow you've chosen your obstetrician Yep. So I, I asked my GP for some referrals to OBs that um, were sort of more naturally focused and naturally minded. And she asked around for me and she got, gave me a list of names sort of in order. And I think I was about eight weeks pregnant by this point And I didn't realize that I was already so behind um, because the first couple of people on the list I tried were already booked out. Mm. And I think I ended up, yeah, with the third one on the list. And yeah, it was it was pretty clear pretty early on that we didn't gel very well. Um, I didn't feel like she was particularly interested in me as a person, like as an individual woman, (laughs) Um, more so just as like another client. And it was a lot of, you know, ticking boxes and things at appointments, a lot of just like Mm. X, Y, and Z, check, check, check. Um, and things like, you know, I said to her when she was calculating my due date, um, you know, she had a little calendar wheel that she was doing it based on my last period date. And I said to her, oh, I've got a 30 day cycle. So I've calculated it as like 29th or whatever. And she said, oh yeah, um, it's, you know, the 27th, according to this for a 28 day standard cycle, um, which, you know, that's, it's basically the same. We'll just make it the 27th which is super annoying because those two days matter a fuckload more at the other end of the journey than they do at the beginning. But, you know, I didn't know any different at that stage. And yeah, we, I gained a lot of weight really early on and that um, also exposed some issues like just with the care relationship there too, because I, um, I gained basically a kilo a week from 10 weeks to 20 weeks uh, uh, to 30 weeks So I gained like 20 kilos over that time, but then I totally plateaued from 30 onwards. Um, And so that was just kind of how I was gaining. And it was super upsetting for me because like you're in that awful stage of like, you feel like shit, you're eating, all you can eat is like chips. I found that like roast potatoes and chips were pretty much all I could stomach. (laughs) Um, finally starting to feel better and then trying to get my, you know, diet back on track and only just seeing like increase in the numbers on the scales. And whenever she would weigh me at each appointment, she would like (laughs) exclaim to my husband, what are you feeding this woman? Uh, And yeah, she was just like, (sighs) which is just wildly inappropriate, regardless of like what you think about you know weight gain and whatever in pregnancy yeah it's good to maintain a healthy weight gain however sometimes it's out of the control of the woman yeah and even when it's not like that's not an appropriate way to uh, like address it yeah so you know have the conversation with me absolutely if you're concerned but yeah that didn't make me feel great um no surprises there and then I was sort of like ashamed and embarrassed and I just didn't like coming into the appointments I'd always be filled with anxiety and 
I had um, sciatica and that was making me really uncomfortable to walk. I was in a lot of pain, kind of shuffling around. And I'd had it prior, like before on and off when I'd been in really sort of um, inactive period, like really sedentary times in my life. And so it wasn't new to me, but it wasn't, it was really much, much worse in pregnancy than it had ever been. Mm. And I'd asked her whether there was anything you could do about it. I think it was about 20 weeks or something. And she said, um, like, no, you know, oh, yeah, I know. It's just one of those things, you know, pregnancy is uncomfortable. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that sucks. And then at about 27 weeks, I nearly got hit by a car stepping badly off the curb. Um, I, like, landed my weight badly and the sciatica sort of shot through my leg and I kind of collapsed under it and then there was like a taxi coming. It was just a bit of a messy experience and everything was fine. But I was just like, this is nuts. I've got to do something about this. Surely there's something to be done. And because my, like my tensing, it, because I had fallen, made it worse and it was terrible. I went to my physio and he was like, yeah, I can absolutely do some work and help you with this. And then he did a bit of work and said, oh, I think you'd be best to see a Cairo. Here's a couple that I recommend. I think they'd really be able to just do the last sort of bits in aligning and sorting you out. So I went to see the Cairos and they were fantastic. And then I could walk again. And I was like, this is insane. Why did I suffer for like 10 weeks with this pain? And it didn't need to be the case. And so that was just another thing that kind of made me feel like perhaps yeah, the doctor and I weren't really on the same page as far as like holistic care and whatever else. So um, as it was, like I kept on with pregnancy, no worries. Uh, everything was really fine. We were super low risk. We did a calm birth course partway through, um, which was really helpful. And my husband got a lot out of it in particular, as far as just understanding sort of what he could be in charge of in the birth space. Mm. So we, yeah, we were approaching um, the 40-week mark and I I really thought like I would go overdue. Um, I just sort of knew that I would. I was a 42-week baby myself. I sort of figured that that was, you know, that there's a good genetic link for that, which I've discovered there is. And, yep, I was very ready to do that um, and I was dreading the induction discussion because I really didn't want to have to do that. And uh, I think I ended up getting like, I think she offered me a sweep at 38 weeks and I said no. And then um, at 39 weeks, she was like, do you want me to do a sweep? And I was like, well, yeah, maybe at this point, because, you know, I really don't want to be talking about induction, mm. you know, word for the wise, a sweep is an induction. Like, yeah. This like is an induction technique. Yeah. Its job is to try and put you into labor. That makes it an induction um, all that happened was that I ended up having really uncomfortable prodromal labor for weeks. Um, and so I had like an evening, every evening I'd have contractions and they wouldn't really go anywhere that they were just getting more and more irritating. And then I'd wake up and I wouldn't be in labor. I'd be like, Oh, okay, that sucks. Mm. Um, and it was also really, really uncomfortable um, just having a sweep, like just excruciating. I've always struggled with vaginal exams and cervical exams and everything, and that was not fun. But I was determined to try and avoid <laughs> an induction. It's life. like you knew, like your intuition was telling you that this, yeah. your, this doctor was going to, that's the way that you guys were going to go. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so I trotted on in for my 40-week appointment and she was like, 
pretty much first question out of our mouth was, when are we going to book in your induction? I was like, I'm literally like just 40 weeks today. Why don't I come back next week at 41 and we can see what's happening and discuss it at the time? And I think she knew that I was going to come back with that because she was very ready to, you know, expostulate and like, oh, well, next week we're going to have to be talking about it. And I was like, that's fine. No worries. Let's do it next week. And she said, you also, I need you to go um, to the hospital every second day for CTG monitoring and have a, a scan, an ultrasound scan to check placenta function, like blood flows and fluid levels and things like that, which I was more than happy to do as long as it meant that I didn't have to go in and be induced. So I did that. Everything was fine. Um, I had one day that I'd woken up uh, like two days before the 41-week appointment and I felt like there had been less movement, but I wasn't really sure. And then I just kind of got in my head a little bit about it and I was like, she's normally quite – I didn't know she was a girl actually at that time, so it was like baby's normally quiet um, at this time, but I don't know if they're – if it's too quiet. And so I ended up going in um, to just be like monitored and whatever. And it's literally the classic thing, right? As soon as they put the CTG on, oh, baby's awake, jumping around, having a great (laughs) old time. Everything's totally normal. And they were even saying to me then, they're like, you're having tightenings. And I was like, yeah, I know. They're nothing. Like it's like 10 minutely sort of occasional tightening tightenings they come and go they're mostly painless and they're, like they're not really doing anything mm. they're like oh hopefully it'll kick up to something um unfortunately the doctor my doctor was it was on a sunday and she was the on-call doctor that weekend and, ah, so she, kind of came in <laughs> and she was like so when are we booking this induction and i was like oh and i'd kind of thought I had a couple of days to sort of get my argument ready because I really don't, I'm not good at confrontation, much better now than I used to be. But at that time, like conflict um, would really send me into like a real sort of flight, fight sort of nervous system mm. response. And I sort of panicked a little bit, but I was like, no, I'm I, I'm not doing this. And thankfully I had thought, thought a little bit about it and I was prepared to give her the Monday 41 plus six, it would have made me. And I felt like that would be enough, (laughs) but I also was like, in my mind, I'd kind of thought, and if I get there and I'm still pregnant and I'm feeling okay, I'll just put it off again. But when I mentioned it to her, she was like, (laughs) a classic sort of performance of like, 41 plus 6. You talk it like, I have a policy of 41 plus 3. And I was like, first of all, that's the first I've heard of it. Might have wanted to have mentioned that earlier if that was the case. And second of all, like, yep, that's my decision. That's what I'm, that's what I have decided is right for me. Well, you need to understand that the risks go up. And I was like, yes, I'm aware. Um, at the calm birth course, we were really lucky to get, um, uh, the instructor that we had gave us the evidence-based birth website. And she was like, this is really good. Plug in anything you need to know about. And, you know, there's a whole lot of rundown from this researcher that, Sort of goes through all of the research and puts it into layman's terms makes it really easy to understand and it's a really great website rebecca decker is the one who runs it she's um american she's amazing i still refer to it all the time and i've been looking a lot on the due dates um due dates episodes uh, uh episodes of her her blog and um blog and podcast and everything as well as her blogs and she yeah had some great great information on induction for due dates and whether or not there's evidence behind it and 
whatever else. And I was like, okay, yep, I can see that, yes, there is a trend up in stillbirth from 41 weeks, but it's a lot if you look at it from the relative, which is important to consider, but it's not so much when you look at the absolute rates, like it was like 0.02 to 0.04 or something, um, which is technically double. But when you're looking at that as like numbers in thousands, it's really a very different number. So yeah, I would I had looked at all of that and thought, you know what, I am a low risk, healthy mother, and there's no reason to think that there's any issue. Um, and maybe I would be unlucky, but at this stage I'm comfortable with that risk on balance. And that's my decision. So yeah, but when I heard her reaction to it, I just like had a sinking feeling because I thought there's no way that I'm going to be able to put this off now. If I get to that date, I can't like I can't have this confrontation again. Um, but anyway, she left us alone and then I was sort of t- on the Monday appointment or the Tuesday appointment I had with her my 41 weeks. Um, she was like, so you're all booked in for next week. I was about two centimeters or something dilated. So I didn't need to go in for um, anything the night before to dilate me. They were able to just go straight in to break my waters. And she said something, I think um, I must've been asking questions about like the dates or whatever. And yeah, she wasn't, she was obviously not thrilled about the whole thing. And um, she did say to me, when I'll see you next week for the induction and I was like yeah or before if I go into labor before then and she was like well given you haven't already it's unlikely to happen now <laughs> like <sighs> on a statistical basis that's probably not true surely the likelihood increases with every day but you know so oh, no, it. like women well, need help to go into labor it's not yeah, like a exactly. natural process you, or anything if you, haven't, if you haven't by 41 weeks then your body just doesn't know how to like it's just not true and I was already dilating so my body was already doing stuff and honestly I think the stress as much as anything else is what was keeping labor at bay um <laughs> so yeah we um made it to the 41 plus six day which was a real shame I'd been doing acupuncture through that week um, because she'd made a really offhand comment at my 40-week appointment when she'd been assessing me and she was like, oh, this baby's less engaged than it was last week. We might not even be able to do an induction. We might have to go straight for a cesarean. And oh she'd kind God. of just said it and then moved right along and was just, you know, straight on with the appointment and I was internally spiralling. And mm-hmm. it was just like one of those things that, yeah, she didn't think anything of, but for me that was like, oh, my gosh, worst possible scenario. Yeah. And then I'm yeah, contacting like, like what is wrong in the medical system? Yeah. Like, women in Australia. Like I can't, she's like, she's the poster woman. For, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a fucking. Her, the epitome of, yeah. Like. Oh, I hate her. I hate yeah. her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like no, yeah, no individualized sort of care and just very much like cookie cutter um technique and yeah, yeah just yeah so scared same. so scared she's so, so scared. scared like it's yeah. just exactly what you said ticking off the medical boxes not yeah not trusting a like the woman and her decisions and working with her to get the best care and making those sorts of comments to a 41 week pregnant woman like oh i just have to go straight for a c-section like yeah oh man yeah she so just, she so so yeah so dodgy like just 
Yeah, I mean, I think care providers on the whole could be way more careful about the language and the things that they say and whatever else, because an offhand comment that one midwife or doctor makes, um, you know, that they don't think anything about can be totally unraveling for a pregnant woman whose oh. anxiety levels are already so high. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. And totally all over the shop. Like, yeah, it's it's frustrating, definitely. So, yeah, we'd been in touch with a couple of family friends, midwives at that point, including the woman who was I then hired as my private midwife for my next birth, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, didn't go back to this doctor, don't know why. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, she, they both said, like, don't even worry about it. Like, babies go in and out, it's fine. Yeah, first-time mums, they tend to sort of engage earlier on and stay there, but that's not a hard and fast rule. I wouldn't even worry about it. If you want, um, you know, uh, Cairo or... Uh, that's right I contacted the Cairo and he was like yeah you know come in we can try and help you out a bit he put me on to his colleague who was more experienced with pregnant women which was just great and she was like oh you should also look at maybe acupuncture that could help so I was doing acupuncture I was doing the Cairo I was like doing everything but my brain was all over the place so there was just no no chance for me really mm. um and yeah so I ended up I walked into the hospital on that 41 plus six day and I just really felt like I wasn't getting out of there without a cesarean and I don't know whether you know my mindset affected that or but I mean statistically it's quite likely when you're a first time mum being induced you have a really high likelihood of having a cesarean much more than sort of a second or third time mum being induced who's had previous uncomplicated births and whatever else so yeah it was um yeah, I was kind of dreading it, but, you know, I was there and I really just didn't feel like I could say no, but I also just really felt like nothing was wrong with me, nothing was wrong with my baby, and I really needed, like, a couple more days. Felt like if I could have had till the end of that week, it would have been fine, but, it, you know, I wasn't in a position where I felt comfortable saying no. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, went up for the induction, uh, got a midwife who we'd previously seen when we'd been having our, like, CTG assessments <laughs> through the last, you know, two weeks every second day and had not liked. And so that was, like, just – I remember my husband and I, my mum was already there. She was meeting us there and she was talking to the midwife. And as we walked down the corridor, I was like, oh, God, Sam, it's that midwife. And he was like, oh, of course it is. <laughs> I was like <laughs> – but they were really good really like I mean the the midwives generally in there were, had been good this one was just not a good match for us and the one we'd seen at the previous day when we'd been in for monitoring I'd asked her about whether it would be appropriate for me to request time between breaking waters and starting the drip and she was like yeah if I'd been the midwife on with you I would have whispered that in your ear <laughs> like at the beginning of the day so yeah definitely asked for that and I was like okay cool so that was the first thing I said when my doctor came in um, at nine o'clock after she'd asked us to be there at seven. So we'd kind of sat around for a couple of hours first. And then, yeah, she went to sort of get everything ready for um, the rupture of membranes. And I said to her, now, you know, I'd really like to have a couple of hours between like breaking the waters and starting the drip and she was like practically rolling her eyes at me and she was like oh, you're 42 weeks pregnant I was like yeah what so what's another couple of hours like in reality let's be real what difference is that going to make but obviously for her it's a difference between potentially going home at, you know next time and going home mm -hmm. another time I guess um and yeah she she was like you can have two hours I was like okay great done sounds good and 
I, yeah, she stuffed around trying to get cannula into my hand and made a meal of it. It was bruised for like weeks afterwards and she ended up getting an anaesthetist in to do the cannula. She was like, oh, your veins are terrible. I was like, of okay, course, it's your fault. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's probably my that fault. I mean, everything else any is. responsibility. <laughs> yes. And the anaesthetist was great. She like shoved a local into my arm and then put it in my forearm, which was a better place for it to be anyway than the back of my hand. So mm. I was happy with that. And um, then, yeah, we kind of just, we had the waters break. There was very light meconium in the waters, which is not surprising given I was nearly 42 weeks, nothing anyone was concerned about. And actually, no, that's right. I felt like it was meconium in there, but they, on my notes, it says that it was clear. Um, So I don't know whether I was just seeing mucus and maybe that was what was discolored or whether they just didn't yeah whether they made different notes but anyway that sort of bounced around on the ball for a while hoping to just get things moving along and yeah I was just having the same tightenings that I'd been having for weeks which were not really doing anything and so a couple hours in I think about 11 30 that midwife came back and she said okay it's time to start the trip and I was like yeah all right no worries let's get this show on the road and she said to me, um, so we're going to keep, we'll be coming in to turn this up every 15 minutes until you hate me. And I was like, well, yeah, I think that ship has sailed. So, I mean, I guess we're there. And um, she, oh, girl. Yeah. Which I is you. Really weird way to say something. Um, so weird. So, so weird. weird. Yeah. But Not I was the like, language. No. and she was kind of old school and, you know, I'd said something about like rolled my eyes about being there for induction and she kind of browsed at me and was like, well, you know why we induce you? And I was like, go on, <laughs> tell me. Sure, you're going to tell me. Yeah, exactly. And she was like, well, because after 40 weeks, your placenta starts to die. And I was like, oh, my Lord, would somebody get this woman some evidence? Like, geez, <laughs> like oh. we have nothing to suggest that that is the case. You know, yes, we have still beds that are unaccounted for as far as we don't know why they happen, but we don't know why they happen. We don't know that it's because placenta. Anyway, it was, that was just like, yep, you've told me everything I need to know about you now. Thanks. Mm. Um, but yeah, so she got that started and there was, um, it was pretty classic induction experience. There was a couple of hours after that where it was like things were, yeah, a little bit more, um, a little bit more painful, but really not a problem. And then suddenly after about two hours, it was like, stepped it up like 25,000 times and it was just got really really intense and I had all of this sort of I'd spinning baby stuff saved to my computer and I'd said to my mom and my husband like you know I've got this stuff there when we need it we had oils we had all the stuff and then once it hit it hit so intensely that I couldn't think anymore and it was just like I had no opportunity to kind of be like oh this is ramping up a bit I might get heat packs out or I might get this out or I might get this going it was just suddenly like everything's fine I'm coping just fine too I might be dying Mm. and over like the next hour of that it just that just increased to I'm definitely dying and this is going to kill me um and that was made so much worse by watching the midwife come in not look at me or in my mind it's possible that I have this completely confused because obviously I was in a world of pain but in my mind she would come in look at the machines walk over to the drip and turn it up and walk back out and not look at me and what was happening with me at all Mm. and watching that was like just I, I just couldn't believe it because in internally I was screaming at them to stop and I was like this 
is going to kill me and I'm dying and can't you see that you're killing me? And it really felt like each contraction at its, at its, as it was getting to the peak, I would just think this is the absolute limit that a person can endure while still existing. I'm just mm-hmm. going to cease to exist. I'm at the limit. I'm at the ceiling. There can't possibly be any more pain that I can, that I can deal with. Like it, it's just not possible. And then that would, that one would stop. And then I'd go, Oh, well, the next one, the next one then will kill me. And I was having um, a lot of back labor as well. So between contractions, they were pretty much like two minutes apart, lasting for a minute to 90 seconds. So the break between them was minimal at most. And even when there was a break between the actual contractions, I still had this excruciating, tearing, fire burning sort of feeling in my back and my hips, which was awful. It's like I could feel and identify the contraction in my abdomen (laughs) while it was going and be like, that pain's not so bad. It's the hips and the back that are going to rip me apart. Um, Mm. And, yeah, it was just awful. And I didn't know, unfortunately, that she had kind of got herself stuck in a posterior position. And I was annoyed that they didn't mention that to me because I felt like had I known that, it might have motivated me to try and move around to get her into a better position. But as it was, I was just stuck in this survival mode attached to the side of the bed, leaning over the side of the bed. And that's all I could do. And Sam would sort of be like rubbing my back between contractions. And then as one would start, his hands would just lift off, which is like the perfect timing because it was at the moment where I'd think if he doesn't stop touching me now, I'm going to kill him. (laughs) And his hands would like, I don't know whether he was like telepathically reading me or more likely probably just watching the machine and his watch to know that it was happening. Um, But yeah, and then, you know, we had all the issues with the CTGs dropping out. So then somebody's constantly trying to hold CTG against my belly and because I was in so much pain, they're wanting to check me all the time and just check that I'm not like, and I'm like, I'm not in transition. I somehow like, I'm like, I know that this isn't transition. I just, I think everything in my body was telling me that this wasn't the right kind of pain. And she was very much stuck in the position she was in. So when she was born, that was told to me that she was um, LOP. So She was left occiput um, posterior, which means her spine was sort of against my spine and Mm -hmm. asynclitic. So her head was bent sideways. So really hard position to get out of when you don't have any waters left to sort of help you move around. And when you just have these constant strong contractions that pushing her down and she's not going anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Just mm -hmm. pulverizing her into a worse position. So didn't know any of that was going on and in my mind I was still like hard set on this like no I can do it without pain relief people always doing it without pain relief I can be one and I got to a point where I was like uh I can't I can't I can't keep going I think I was about three or four hours into the pain and I um I asked for they wanted me to try the gas and I did try the gas but I hated it I think I threw it at the wall um, because I hated the sensation of something on my face when like vocalizing was all I had mm. and then it was sort of taking that away from me. So I threw that away. I was like, nope, get me the morphine. And they were like, okay, fine. And so they went and got that. They were checking me all the time. I think I'd gone from like two to four reasonably quickly. And then I sort of slowed and it was like five. And then I think about six or seven hours in, it was like six and about the sort of five o'clock mark, my doctor had come back in to check on me and then she had a word with my husband about 
um, the fact that she thought I needed to get an epidural and he was like, she doesn't want that. And so we're not doing it. And she was like, fine, suit yourselves. I think she should have an epidural, um, you know, it would help her relax. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously it would not being induced would help me relax, but, um, <laughs> yeah. So he was, you know, being the guardian of the birth space that he was taught to be and saying like, no, that's not her plan. She doesn't want that. And I hadn't asked for it either. So it wasn't like it was something that, yeah, I was begging for and he was saying, no, you don't want it. We're not, yeah. you know, it was like he was, yeah, doing his job. And so I kept going and then about 7 o'clock I'd sort of gone, I just don't think I can possibly keep going anymore. And like at this point it had been hours of feeling like I was going to die mm. and the morphine had started to wear off between the contractions again. So the morphine had had helped and not helped. So it hadn't done anything for the actual contraction, but the pain between them was lessened, which made it a lot easier. It kind of gave me a second wind, um, but it also made me totally spaced out. And I was like, you know, on another planet of fatigue and just like just crazy, basically. Like I was just, my mind was just all over the shop. And they often you like, water injections or anything like that in your back no no and that's like you know another thing that I learned about after the fact and yeah I'm not even sure if they have them at that private hospital to be honest if anyone's trained in it but it would have been exactly the scenario for injections um but yes unfortunately not um but yeah as the as the morphine started to wear off and the pain was coming back in between I was like I'm just not doing this and I was like look somebody do an exam and tell me where I'm at because if I'm at like eight, then I know that I'm, I'm close. Um, but if I'm still, you know, where I was, I think I was five at the last check and they were like, you're six. And I was like, fuck this, no more, get me the epidural. And they were like, are you sure you want to do that? I was like, I could be here for another eight plus hours. I'm I like, it's going to kill me. And so they were like, cool, no worries, we'll get it. The anaesthetist is on call because it's out of hours now. So they got him to come. It was about 45 minutes or so before he got there. And that was when I found out that the baby was posterior because he said to the midwife, she's not LOP, is she? And the midwife was like, yeah, she is. And I was like, are you joking? Like, I know what that means. And I wish you shared that information with me because maybe I would have been able to help her move. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like there's a good trick with posterior babies with like asymmetrical, um, like changing the shape of your pelvis to be asymmetrical, like lifting one leg or doing lunges and that kind of thing during contractions. Different things I could have tried but didn't know about um, the positioning, so I didn't try them because I was just kind of in my brain space of like just survival. And, yeah, anyway, I got the epidural in and it was like, yeah, fog lifting on a cloudy day, like sunshine and rainbows. And I was like, best thing I'd ever experienced at that moment. (laughs) Um, And I was totally numb, like complete knockout, dead to the world numb from like my, my stomach down from breasts down basically. And I was okay with that. I was like, yeah, great. Um, That's, you know, feelings all gone. I think in a way it's kind of, yeah, it's weird, but it was, at that point, just such a relief that I was like, thank goodness it's, it's, that's finished. And then I noticed once that was happening, I'd noticed the midwives coming in. So we'd had another, like a shift change. And then we were approaching a third shift change of midwife by this point. And I heard them talking and saying, oh, is the doctor on her way in? And she said, yeah, she's coming in. And I was like, Hmm, I don't think I'm about to push out a baby. (laughs) And I don't think my doctor's going to be coming in at 9 PM because 
just to say hi, um, you know. So, and I was watching them and they're coming in, they're looking concerned at the monitor, they're turning me to my side. And I was like, oh, we're heading for a cesarean for sure. And that was, yeah, one of the things that Carmeth taught us about, which was really helpful, was knowing that, first of all, most emergency cesareans are poorly called emergencies because they're not truly emergencies in that it's not immediate life-threatening danger. It's probably like less than 5% um even fewer are actually life-threatening emergencies and the majority of the cases they can kind of see it happening hours prior to you knowing about it Mm. and that that was definitely what we were watching we were like yeah they know that that's what's going on they don't want to share it with us but they're coming over here and they're sort of you know worried and then yeah the doctor came in not long after that and she sort of (laughs) came in put her hand on my arm was like caitlin your baby's starting to get really tired. And I was like, okay, so we're going for a cesarean. She was like, well, we just think it's probably, and I was like, yeah, like I'm not here to muck around with my baby's well-being. Like, you know, I know you think I'm a cowboy and I know you think that I'm irresponsible, but that's not really my intention. I'm not here to play fire with my baby's life. And I kind of, in my mind, I was like, I couldn't handle that pain. I don't know how much of this pain relief she has, probably not a lot. But if I wasn't coping, I don't know how it could possibly be for her inside there. Mm. And, yeah, I'd be getting over it too. And I am over it. And so, yep, this is it. Let's go. So I sort of said to her as we were being rolled down the corridor, like, I want skip skin and I want daylight cord clamping. And she was like, you can have whatever you want as long as that baby comes out okay. And I was like, yeah, cool. Glad we're agreed. And then we got into the surgery and – Sam would come in with me um, and then she was really good once we were in theatre. I think she's quite a good surgeon. Um, Yeah, and I think she's (laughs) probably quite skilled. But she and she did sort of, you know, um, talk to the rest of the staff and she's saying like, oh, they don't know the sex so nobody say anything, which was really nice because I had forgotten to mention that. Like, you know, I'd rather not hear somebody say he or she from the other side before I'd seen my baby after all this time waiting and she said she called out to me like after um after she'd been born she said baby's here and is fine we're just waiting for the cord to stop pulsing which she did and then a few like sort of a few minutes later she kind of like lion king style like presented her over the curtain and it was like oh there's my my daughter like she's a little girl and i was a little bit spaced out because I also wasn't prepared for like how swollen their genitals are when they're born yes. and I was like that's a girl right like for a second I was like wait that's a girl Sam's yeah. like looking at me like uh yeah that's a girl like what are you looking at and it was yeah it was just really nice and they got her on my chest um and I was quite happy at that point because you know first of all it was all over the cesarean um experience of mine with my first and and with my second really spoiler alerts um were were <laughs> actually them themselves were quite positive experiences um yeah. for me the traumatic part of my first birth was the induction that was the part mm-hmm. that i thought i i really felt like i would die and so the cesarean was kind of a relief and i knew that we were both okay and I wanted it to stay that way. And I was just relieved for it to all be over. So, yeah, I did have like a weird, um, they sort of overdosed my epidural slightly. And so it was kind of numbed up to about my chin. So I had this weird sort of numbness in my throat that was a little bit tricky because 
I was kind of having to focus really hard on intentionally breathing and swallowing and just reminding myself that I wasn't like suffocating, mm. which was kind of scary. But I remember just being like, if you show any signs of stress or like concern about this, they will put you under and you're going to miss out. So I was like, I have to keep it together. And so I did. And then yeah, she fed in theatre, which was really nice. The um, She was sort of rooting around for the nipples straight away and I mentioned the midwife was with us, like, oh, I think she wants to feed and the midwife was like, oh, sometimes they look like that but they don't really. And I was like, I mean, I don't know what else they're doing. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. man, I don't understand how that can even come out of a mid. That's literally like what they're programmed to do is go straight so, to literally, your nipples. Literally, <laughs> like only biological instinct is feed it's now. And yeah. like, <laughs> talking about so but then she kind of looked over and was like oh no, no, she might be and sort of helped her across um because my arms were a bit useless and yeah so she helped her get onto the nipple she fed a little bit in theater which was really really good um and then they had to take her away and take her upstairs because we couldn't stay together because there's no recovery after hours at the private hospital and it was about um well, she was born at 10 45 p.m so it was pretty late by this stage and then I was just kind of left to the side of the surgical, like the operating room while they cleaned up. Um, that was sort of the recovery in inverted commas. And it was, that was really um, not great. That was kind of like disembodying. Like I was there, I felt super numb. I was shivering like out of control, um, which is normal for epidural, but still frightening. Um, and no one was like there with me. No one was talking to me. And I was just kind of on my side, like on the side of the room, just watching people clean up and just watching the clock and being like, my baby has been born for like 90 minutes. My baby's been on this earth now, like as, as her own being. And I don't know where she is or what's happening with her or anything. Like I knew she was safe and with my husband, but it's just like, it's just not. It's a lot to take in after yeah. you just you want them with you right then. Like you're like, really? no, I don't want yeah. them. Yeah, like no. I just grew that person and yeah. they were inside me for nine months, and now yeah. they're outside of me and not even in the same room. Like and they're separated. Like is she? Yeah, I couldn't even imagine. Like I actually, I know. Like it would be yeah. anxious. Like I'd be fucking anxious as too. Even if I knew my son was with my husband, I'd be like, yeah, I want him. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just like. Yeah, it's not it's not nice. It's really not nice. And I mean, I'm a huge huge advocate for skin to skin post cesarean and uninterrupted skin to skin because it's really the one thing you can do to fill the hormonal gaps that otherwise are created from having a cesarean and I really think we need to be doing more and doing better at getting that done. Um there's not really ever a good enough excuse for it except for a baby who is really really unwell. Um, yeah, exactly. Who's really really unwell. So yeah, it's it's really, really quite upsetting. But eventually it was about two hours between um, her being born and me getting upstairs to the ward. And then it was weird because I was in the ward and she was not there. And I was like, where's where's my husband and my baby? And they were sort of down at the nursery um, with the midwife who was doing the checks. And so then they kind of came in and it felt a lot better. But it was, yeah, it was weird. It was like, oh, there she is. And then I, you know, and then you're struggling with like, I can't really move very well to get to her and I'm trying to get her to feed her. And like, what do I do? Do I feed her now? Like, does she want to be fed? What? No one's here to kind of instruct me or tell me or guide me or give me any information on this. And 
the irony of choosing the private hospital because I was worried about breastfeeding is that I could not have received less help with breastfeeding. <laughs> I mean, I really? got some really poor advice that I didn't really know at the time was that bad, although it didn't feel right at the time. Um, things like, you know, day two, classic day two, right? They're trying, they're feeding pretty much constantly, bringing in your milk supply. That's sort of their job. And the I was getting a graze because of poor positioning from her. And I was trying to get them to help me with that. And because it was really, really painful when she was feeding, it was just on one side, thankfully. But because I had the cesarean and I was sort of recovering from that, I was struggling a bit with getting her in a good position. And the midwife who was there just basically said, oh, she's just using you as a dummy. You need to give her a dummy and put her in the, the bassinet so you can sleep. And I was like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And I, can't, I followed that instruction because I had literally spent a whole pregnancy being told that my body doesn't know what to do mm. and that, you know, everyone else knows better. And so the instinct of, but I feel like I need to put my baby on me and just keep her there was just overshadowed with more of this information and noise about you don't know what you're doing, so let me tell you. And it's really tough. So first time mum, you don't really know. You're just kind of hoping that, yeah, you, you're doing the right thing. And, I mean, I, I did have one midwife who was really good and at one point she said, she was doing the nights and I was like sobbing, which is pretty normal for a few days in any way. But I was also in pain and I was like, this is so much harder than I thought it would be. And like, I hurt so much. I didn't want this fucking cesarean. And now it's just making everything difficult. And this is exactly what I didn't want to happen basically. Mm. And she was really lovely. And she was like, look, I know that a lot of women don't want to use them because they worry about, you know, getting dependent on them, but you, you could use a breast shield. And I was like, what's a breast shield? Like what, nipple shield. Mm. What is it? I haven't heard of it before. This is the first time hearing of it. So I I don't care what, what like, is it going to help? And she's like, well, it can help with the pain if you've got an injury. It can also help with babies who are struggling to latch, you know, making sure they latch well and whatever. And I was like, yeah, give it to me. <laughs> like, yes, let's do that. And yeah, so I used the shield on one side for a couple of weeks, um, basically, and not on the other side. So the other side that was okay, I kept without so that she wouldn't get reliant on the on the shield. Yeah. And it was easy enough to wean her off it. And, I mean, I, honestly, my breastfeeding journey was really good, and I think mostly because my daughter was an absolute boob fiend. Like, yeah, I think yeah. for no <laughs> other reason. Like, it was luck. It was purely a baby that was really, really happy with the boob. And yeah. like it wasn't because I chose a good care team or because yeah. I had good support. Um, it was really lucky. And yeah, I feel very grateful that I was so lucky because it really easily could have been another way. But yeah, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. And a midwife berate me like the second day when I was up trying to get to the toilet. I think I asked her to help me with something. And she was really snappy. And then she came in like a couple hours later and she's like, I just read your chart. And I was like, okay. She was like, I didn't realize you had a cesarean. You were mo mobilizing so well. I just assumed you'd had a vaginal birth. And I was like, well, I didn't. And she was like, well, I, I know that now. I'm sorry. I, I, I was like, I mean, it shouldn't, first of all, you should have probably read my chart before. And, <laughs> and even if you had had a vaginal birth, exactly. you just fucking gave birth. <laughs> I'm like, also, I mean, I'm in here because I want help 
things like you know I don't feel like you should be berating anyone like no no what's the um what's the hospital name uh it was an opinion private hospital in Sydney yeah in yeah western Sydney yeah and look I've had friends who've birthed there and have had really good experiences um I think I was unlucky and I also think that it just didn't align with what I wanted um, yeah and yeah my values so yeah, it was it was a bit of a shame, really. Oh, that honestly sounds like such an awful experience. I'm so sorry that you had to go through all that. So moving on to your second daughter now, how are you feeling being pregnant with her after um, after what happened with Florence? Um, yeah, I was really really quite excited actually because I'd. Um, gone through an absolute like down the rabbit hole very much though of research um before conceiving Stella where I I just kind of started the first thing I googled when I was back on the ward was like can you have a vaginal birth after a cesarean which literally is not something given the work I do now it wasn't actually something that I knew was possible um prior to my like yeah prior to finding that out after having flow so I started looking into it. Um, I found like, I think it was like Australian birth stories or something I was listening to where I heard a VBAC story and they mentioned the VBAC Australia group on Facebook, which is a brilliant, brilliant resource. And then I sort of was going through that and then I'm learning more. And then there was VBAC birth stories podcast was released. So I started listening to that. And then the more I kind of researched and learned, the more it seemed obvious that my best my best chance of success, which I use in inverted commas because I don't like to use that word to describe a vaginal birth after cesarean because there is no failed birth. Um, you either have a vaginal birth or you don't. And yeah. end, like that's kind of it. Um, but my best opportunity to have a VBAC was with a private midwife birthing at home. So I live five minutes from the hospital. So that was something that I felt like, yeah, I, I think that feels okay for me. I reckon I'm going to do that. And we actually knew um, a private midwife. My mum knew her because she worked with her, um, not worked with her, but she was in local business chapters with her in, in the Blue Mountains. Um, so she put me in touch with her. And, uh, yeah, I got in touch with her a little bit before I had two very early chemical um, miscarriages like chemical pregnancies before conceiving Stella and so we took a bit of a break um, just to let my body settle I just had a feeling that it was just too much too soon for my body and I wanted to let everything settle and hormonally balance out a bit um, get my diet a little bit more under control and things like that before we went back into it so I'd been in touch with my midwife months earlier and um, by this point in time, I had not only just decided that home birth was my best bet, but I'd gone into all the home birth research as well and gone, actually, <laughs> this makes so much sense. Like this, the statistics on home birth are so good as far as like better outcomes for mothers and babies on the whole and no worse outcomes. Like yeah. it, it just became really clear to me that that was just a better option overall so um for me and it like it's not for everybody because not everybody's comfortable with it and you do have to be prepared to be take responsibility for your birth that's really the biggest thing um but for people who are definitely an option and definitely look into it um because you're 
your best chance of low intervention birth is with a midwife birthing at home. Um, and even when women transfer into hospital, the statistics show that you still you take that you still take that lowered risk with you, even if you have to transfer into hospital on the whole, which is really cool. So yeah, I was really excited when I did get pregnant with Stella. I was like so ready for this. I had all the confidence in my body, knew that everything the first time around um, that I kind of got jibbed, like basically wrote the induction off as like, well, that doesn't count <laughs> because that was definitely not how labor needs to be and was well prepared to go overdue in inverted commas again um, because I I felt much more at ease with that because I had a care provider who felt at ease with that. Like my yeah. midwife was used to seeing women who were routinely over 40 weeks, much less over 42 and even over 43 sometimes. Um, not as common, obviously. But, yeah, so I was looking forward to it. Um, really good relationship with my midwife. We're seeing the Cairo regularly as well to, to make sure I avoided getting that um, sciatica happening again. And I'd also hired a doula who I'd met through the home birth community uh, groups. And she was a beautiful support and now a very close friend of mine as well. And yeah, we were basically just gearing up. It was COVID, which did suck uh, because I don't handle being stuck at home very well. And we were very much stuck at home. Um, thankfully, in Sydney, it wasn't quite as dramatic as it was in like in Melbourne. No, but- those yeah. poor souls. I every time I heard about more lockdowns there, I was like, I don't know how they're doing it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I so, don't know how they're doing it. And we had um that was, that would have been like December twenty twenty two twenty twenty one. Was it? Yeah, around? so Stella yeah. was born, yeah, December twenty twenty one. So I was yeah. pregnant sort of through the big Sydney lockdown, which was like June, July, August, coming out of it about September, October. So yeah. I gave birth um, in December 2021 too, so yeah. I know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and, yeah, I'm, I was working for a, con- a consultant. I was working as a consultant for an engineering firm at that time, and so we were all online basically, and that was just making me crazy because I'm super extroverted, never been more clear to me how extroverted I am until lockdowns. <laughs> um, but like just dealing just with people on, on computer screens was just so draining for me. I'm like, I really need to connect with people on a face-to-face level. Like that's what gives me energy. That's what energizes me. So I actually ended up going on leave at about 33 weeks. Um, and I was lying about my due date to everyone around me so that I could get to 40 weeks without anybody starting to bother me. They'd all think oh. I was still at 38 weeks. So it was like, Smart woman. Smart yeah, woman. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm not doing that again. They can all just no. deal. And towards the end, my mum did start to suspect that I was lying. But I was like, suspect all you want and bless her. She even said to me at one point, she said, I, I definitely felt like you weren't being honest about your due date. But I thought, you know what, if she doesn't want to tell me, then that's fine. Like, you know, <laughs> I'll play along. And I was like, yes, exactly. Like, great. Good on you. Um, but yeah, my mom also turned 50 not long before I had Stella. And so she had all these birthday parties because we had all these kind of contingency parties of small groups, not knowing what we would have like what options we would have available to us so it ended up being like three different things that I had to go to and I was like 39 and something 
pregnant. I was so done. And I was like, I so don't want to be coming out for a third time. But everybody thought that I was, you know, 37. They're like, what are you whinging about? You've still got ages. (laughs) I'm really finished now. But um, it was all good. And then I was basically just waiting for labor and I was not at all stressed about it. Um, I was getting acupuncture done just to sort of for relaxation more than anything. I wasn't actively trying to induce labor with induction, but I was just wanting all of that sort of all those pathways to be open, um, ready for action, my body to be sort of primed. And yeah, 41 weeks on the dot, I kind of went from I'd had prodromal, painless prodromal labor on and off for about six weeks by this point. Um, So that was definitely messing with my brain a little bit because three days before the labor really kicked off, that ended up going consistently. I had six minutely painless, mostly painless contractions for about three straight days. Thankfully, I could still sleep through them. So it wasn't super annoying, but it was definitely like, okay, at some point, (laughs) this has to just. Come on, right? like, <laughs> come on, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I was like really ready for it. My mom had organized for us to come up to her place and put the Christmas tree together with um, my daughter. So my sisters and I and my little one. And we were at her place doing that. And I was going, oh, I'm really feeling uncomfortable, trying not to let on that, you know, I was getting these contractions. Um, and mum's like, I fully knew something was up. But I was like, I thought I was doing a really great job of covering that, but obviously not. And my husband was really sick. So he had a really bad cold. Thankfully, he'd had a COVID test come back negative two days earlier because I was very stressed about that. Because at that mm. stage, well, if we'd gotten COVID, we couldn't birth at home anymore. Yeah, we had to go to the hospital. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I was like so stressed about that just being our undoing. Um, My doula had messaged me a little earlier, like I think a week earlier and said her daughter had been a close contact at school. And so they were kind of her and her, the daughter and the husband were bunking down in one half of the house. And she was like, I haven't really seen her because I've been at birth. So I'm hoping that we're in the clear. And it was just a bit of a mess. Like, Oh God, I hope everyone can make it to this birth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we kind of, I'd gotten home. That's right. I got home from putting the Christmas tree up with Flo. It was pretty late getting her to bed, like nearly nine o'clock, which is super late for her and got her pretty much straight to bed. And I thought, oh, I really feel like a shower before I hop into bed. I was going to sleep on the couch because my husband was so unwell and snoring so loudly. And I made like a bit of a couch cocoon for myself that was really comfortable. (laughs) So I got in the shower, was like, yep, that's good. Got out of the shower, stepped literally out onto the bath mat and had this like big contraction. I was like, oh, all right, of course, this is going to happen now. <laughs> I was like, so ready to go to bed. And I thought, no, nah, it's, it's probably not. It's probably just more build up. And they're pretty much four to five minutes from the get go. So I was like, I'm just going to try and lie down and get as much rest as I can. And I think I had one contraction lying down. I was like, absolutely fucking not. (laughs) That's definitely not going to happen. And I thought, well, shit, I better get this space set up then because we've got a really small house and I definitely didn't have like, you know, a set aside space for the birth that's already ready to go. I was like, I have a toddler who destroys everything in her. (laughs) So I'm going to leave everything until labor starts. I'll just put it all together then. And I was like, okay, I didn't expect these contractions to be sort of this close together. It's a little bit hard to get shit done around this. Like I had to pretty much stop and 
breathe through them from the get-go. Um, and I called my doula after about an hour of talking myself out of whether or not this was real labor. Every time through a contraction, I'm like, oh, this is definitely a contraction. And then when it finished, I'd be like, no, it's probably not labor though. It's probably not. Um, <laughs> it was 41 weeks pregnant. It's probably not labor. And <laughs> eventually, yeah, I called her and was like, okay, so I think labor definitely seems to be happening. Sam's really sick and I want to let him sleep as much as possible because he's going to be in charge of looking after Flo. And I need to get the space set up. And she was like, I'll come. And I was like, are you sure? Because it seems like a stupid reason to call you. And she was like, no, no, I'll come. Uh, you know, how far are your contractions? I was like, you know, they're about four minutes apart. Um, and then by the time she got there, she's an hour away from me. By the time she got there, I was vocalizing through them. So I definitely felt like I called her at the right time and I didn't feel so stupid for getting her there too early. She got the pool set up. Um, while I got Sam to put the TENS machine on, he woke up while I was moving furniture around anyway, trying to make the, <laughs> make space for the pool. And, yeah, things we just kind of kept on. I was on the ball with TENS machine, vocalising, feeling pretty good, um, feeling really happy. I was like, this is so different to being induced. Like this is, this is it, like it's a lot of work, but it's not anything like um, beyond yeah, yeah like yeah it's, it's, it's a wave of like be, getting a bit of a break and a breather exactly and yes going, also yes. that yeah mm -hmm. it's still Coming hard like it's still yeah. hard but the yeah. i can understand with the drip that's the, what everyone says like back to back to back and yeah. not getting like yeah. a rest so i can yeah. understand that, yeah being able to just sort of you know come, come back to in between for sure yeah there was this real sense of like being able to come back down to earth in between that was made it so much more manageable yeah um, and so I was yeah I was at it for a while I think about 1 a.m um my daughter woke up at some point I think it was about one she woke up and she was really wanting me to comfort her and I was beyond <laughs> doing that and that <laughs> was course. really stressful like naturally um and also because we'd done a lot of preparation about the home birth and we'd said you know Amy my doula when Amy comes, she'll be here to like help mummy and to help you. And she'll be here. She can read books with you and whatever else. So she saw Amy put two and two together. Me also like making a lot of noise was like baby time. Amy's here to read me books. Sweet as. <laughs> so she was like bringing Amy the books, read me this book. And I'm like, get fucked. Amy's rubbing my back and I need it. <laughs> so it was just oh god this is actually not working for me at all and then she would get upset when I was getting upset because I'm trying to call Amy over to help me she wants Amy to help her dad <laughs> is just not doing it for anyone no one wants a bar of dad he's sick as <laughs> yeah sick you can't cuddle dad no and then she's trying to cuddle me through a contraction I'm pushing her away which is just breaking my heart every time I'm doing it but I just can't control the the action and then eventually I just said to Sam, you just need to take her back to bed. She's exhausted. She's so, so tired. She's going to cry and you just need to cuddle her and just get her back to sleep. And I hated doing it. I knew it was best for her and I knew it was best for me in that moment. But what I don't think I realized is that I had a lot of guilt over her birth and the way she came into the world that I had not worked through because in my mind, I was going to have this beautifully redemptive and healing home birth 
and everyone was going to be there and get the benefits of all the oxytocin flowing in the air and everyone was going to be healed. So I'd done zero mental work because I was expecting that birth to do it for me. Mm. And it doesn't work like that. (laughs) It definitely instead was kind of my undoing for that for Stella's birth I really feel um with the benefit of hindsight and that her Florence waking up was a big part of it so that started the process because it was after she'd gone back to bed I just felt like the contractions were different and they where they had felt hard but really really productive really like working like yep this feels good it feels right things feel like they're moving and doing what they should to this doesn't feel like anything's happening from it, but it just fucking hurts. Mm. And it felt like a tight band around like my pubic bone and around my belly. Every time I had a contraction, that was really annoying. And I couldn't, that's all I could focus on was like that sensation. And I was like, that actually just hurts. And I think that that's the difference, right, between the pathological pain and the physiological pain is that that pain was saying, hey, something's not quite right here. And it takes a lot more of your energy um than physiological pain which is like body's working hard and it's doing a big job that's Mm. kind of it so I kept going for a little while but I was like really pissed off with it and it was just driving me crazy I got in the pool I got out of the pool my birth photographer came took a few snaps of me in labor which was really good I'm so glad I have those photos and then I was like on the toilet off the toilet in the pool for a while things slowed down and eventually I got out to go to the toilet and when I came back my door was like so you're gonna hate me and I was like I'm not getting back in the pool I know I know and she was like yeah I was gonna say it just might not and I was like yes Amy I know so (laughs) I was back to like on my knees over the couch and whatever else but I was just pissed off because it just felt like nothing was happening properly anymore and I couldn't seem to get back into that mojo It didn't feel like, yeah, I just knew that it wasn't happening properly. And at one point I asked her what the time was. She's like, do you really want to know? And I was like, yeah. She said, it's about half past four. And I was like, this baby isn't going to be here by sunrise. I really, earlier in the night, I would have said this baby's going to be here real soon. Um, But now I'm not feeling like that. I just feel like there's too much work still to be done and nothing's, it's not working now. Like I feel like this is wasted energy and wasted time because it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And then I think at about six, they'd been texting my midwife. My midwife had been saying to them, put her to bed and go. Like she needs to just get some sleep. And they were like, we're absolutely not able to do that. Like there's no chance we're abandoning her at this stage, which I was grateful for. And then at about six, I think Amy said, do you want me to call Joe?" And I was like, yeah, I need her here to tell me what the fuck's going on because Mm. it's not right. Like, it's not bad. It wasn't like, oh, I'm clearly having a a rupture or something like that. Yeah, very conscious of that. Yeah, and I could just tell that this band feeling was just indicative of something that wasn't working. So Joe turned up, which was like such a relief for me, and – she offered to do an exam, which previously we'd said, like, obviously I didn't want to do. Um, and I said, yeah, I think we need it. She's like, I just feel like um, if you're telling me something's not right, it helps me get some information about what's going on. I was like, yes, do it. Let's do it. And she did. And she said, look, you're seven centimetres dilated. <laughs> I don't know how you've done that because you don't have a head on the cervix. 
Um, you've got a big bulging bag of waters there that goes rock hard when you have a contraction because she did ask if she could leave her fingers in while she, while I had a contraction just to feel what was happening. And she said, also, your baby is really far anterior and butting on the pelvic bone. So she's not engaged properly and she's butting on the pelvic bone when she's when you're having a contraction, which is what that sensation was. What, so she was transverse, like butt no, down? Her head, was, her head was down, um, but she was just not fully engaged. So she oh, was slightly right, yeah. above the pelvis. And when they were, tr- she was trying to be pushed into the pelvis, her head wasn't in the pelvis exactly. It was too far, like, forward from me. Mm. And so she was kind of coming down on top of the pelvic bone rather than like just inside the pelvis. Yeah. Yeah. So that explained a lot. And Joe basically said, if your waters would break, I feel like she would drop straight down and things would, you would just have a baby basically. Um, But she said, I'm not prepared to break them at home because she's too high. The risk of cord prolapse is too high. And I was like, totally understand. Don't want to do that. Let's yeah, definitely not. Um, but she was like, what do you want to do? And I, and that is what I loved about having a private midwife. It was always sort of, here's the information. Here are the different options available to you. What do you want to do with this? Mm. And I sort of, so she was like, here's what, you know, and here's the other risks of breaking your waters, you know, your post-dates and there's a likelihood of meconium, even if they do break at home. You know, if the meconium is really thick, it might indicate a need for transfer as well you know, X, Y, and Z, all these different things. And I said, look, I'm feeling better now that I understand what's happening and I feel like I can work with this a little longer. I'm not ready to give up. Let's keep moving. And so I was back into it. And then um, my, they encouraged me to go to the toilet. And so I did that. And I was losing mucus plugs just sort of all through the night. Like it was just kind of constantly coming, um, coming out in like a more liquefied form than I was prepared for. Uh, but that's also quite normal, just a variation of the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I'd come out to the lounge room, my doula said, um, are you, do you want us to, like, I've got some ideas about what kind of spinning baby stuff we can do to help the help the baby get into the right position. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So she said, I'm thinking a forward-leaning inversion while I shake the apple. So I've got rebozo over my bum while I'm upside down off the couch yeah. during contraction to shake the baby, to shake my bum so that you're kind of loosening all the ligaments and the baby sort of drops out of where she's gotten herself a bit stuck and sort of disengages from the pelvis in order to re-engage in a better position. And I was like, yep, that sounds terrible. Let's do it. And (laughs) I can't think of much worse than that. Uh, But we did that and it was like a reverse vacuum-y sort of feeling. (laughs) I remember feeling her like... (laughs) like just like suck out of my pelvis while I was upside down. I was like, oh, she's out. So sat up, let her sort of settle back in. And then we did um, what's called a waltress position, which is where you kind of hang with your, you, you lie down on a surface and you have your legs hanging off so that your pelvis is tilted all the way sort of forward. And so my bum was kind of up on some pillows and my legs just hanging off the edge of my bed and spent three contractions in that position to try and help her get underneath that pelvic bone at the front there. So that was crazy. Um, but we did all of those and then they were like, cool, now I think you should rest because I think by this stage it was about 9am and they were like, you haven't had any sleep. I think have some rest, have something to eat, have something to drink and see if that doesn't like get the get things happening now that we've given her a bit of better space to move around and whatever. So we did that for a while. 
I tried to rest. Um, obviously, you can only do so much when you've got contractions coming pretty consistently. But they were also starting to space out, which was annoying. So they were like seven to ten minutes sometimes. Um, and they were really strong when they came, but they were just not coming very frequently. And I think that this is all to do with her position. But I also think that when when we had got her to, um, we'd done the forward leading inversion and then we'd done the waltches and I had a couple of contractions and I was feeling like that I was getting that burning sensation in my hips, which is actually like not abnormal at all because your pelvis is trying to open. So things mm-hmm. are stretching to accommodate the baby trying to move in. She was pretty big bubba too. She was four and a half kilos. So there was a lot of her to get in there as well. Yeah. And I resisted that sensation so, so, so much because I immediately was taken back to the induction and that being on fire sensation. And as soon as I felt the slightest bit of burning, it was like I, the ground wanted to give way beneath me. Like I felt like I was on the precipice of transition the whole time. And if I had just let go, it probably would have been fine. But instead I anchored myself something solid to the earth and was like, there's no way, like I am not opening up because it that's the bad death feeling and I'm not letting that happen. That's, mm. that's not good. And I wish that I had made that connection at the time, but I absolutely didn't. Again, this is like a hindsight thing because I remember saying, oh, it's burning, it's burning. And they were like, that's okay. And I remember thinking, no, it's not. Yeah. It's definitely not. Like, no, 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 you don't understand. And, you know, I didn't understand. But it's, yeah, so I think I was actually resisting (laughs) allowing her to get down because then hours later, like, we're still in the same position and I'd actually started going backwards in dilation. Um, Joe checked me another, like, I think we were about eight hours later and she said, you know, do you mind if I check again and see where we're at? You know, I'd been doing some walking up the hill, been doing everything and she was like, look, you, you're starting to swell. You're at five centimeters now. And I was like, fuck that. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, I went and visited my Cairo during this, uh, after that. And I got her to just assess my pelvis to see if there was anything going on. She was like, look, there's a bit of tension here and here. She made a bit of adjustments. So she was like, everything should be fine. We went home and my midwife said to me at this point, we'd sent my doula home for a rest. My first photographer home birth photographer was home and we were just that everyone was just waiting for the go time again um my midwife said look I'm gonna go and get some dinner you should have some dinner with the family and then when I come back we'll see where you're at the whole time she's gone she's gone for 45 minutes and I had one contraction (laughs) right so this is obviously the next that night then yeah yeah this is the following day so by this stage we were about 22 hours in and it had just slowed right down. And I wish that I'd kind of like in hindsight, I wish that I'd said, okay, well, let's take this opportunity to rest mm. and, um, you know, try and get some sleep and maybe then things will kick up again. But I also know that I, I really wasn't mentally ready um, to surrender to those sensations. And so I don't know how much resting would have helped me either. But I do think that that's what my body was saying it needed at that point. But instead, what we decided was that I was pretty over it and it was time to transfer to hospital and get them to break my waters in Mm. a controlled setting so that if there was a cord prolapse, you know, we could be straight off to theatre if needed. 
Um, so my midwife organized the transfer for us. She spoke to the birth unit and we headed off there pretty much straight away. My mum was in the area. She picked up my daughter. And I was so, so grateful that I was able to take two support people with me. So I was able to bring my midwife and my husband because I was so fucking stressed about transferring to hospital mm-hmm. and dealing with shitty attitudes from clinicians who disagreed with my decisions. Like yeah. that was my biggest fear was that I would receive less than adequate care because they were judging my choices. Um, and instead it was the opposite. It was really beautiful. We had really, really respectful care. Um, and everyone was wonderful and they kept doctors out until the absolute last second, like they needed to. The doctor who did come was really respectful and really wonderful. Um, so I got there and they broke my waters about an hour after I got there and, the midwife said that she felt the baby drop down, but not a lot, but we were, you know, we were like, cool, hopefully that's enough. Cause Joe had sort of said, it might just be that those waters are so solid that they're just keeping her from being able to descend properly. And once she can descend and like, you know, move around off the pelvic floor, then you'll get around. So I was like, okay, I hope so. But I could still feel that band sensation. And so I was using that as a bit of a guide for, you know, knowing where she was and, I think it was like another three hours or something. It was about 11 o'clock when I said, I need an epidural now. Um, And I pretty much just, it wasn't that even that I couldn't handle it anymore, but I was so tired. Oh, you could be so exhausted, you poor thing. And I'd walked like up and down my hill at my house for like a couple hours through the day as well. Like my legs were just jelly. Mm. I down through the contractions because they were too much but I was like wobbling when I was standing and I was like if I can't stand up and my voice was starting to give when I was vocalizing I'm like vocalizing is what's keeping me in control or keeping me grounded and once I lose those things I'm not going to cope so it's time plus I could also see the writing on the wall a little bit I was like look they're only going to let me labor here for so long and I am too tired to go much longer anyway. So I'm probably looking at an emergency cesarean. There's a possibility that if I get this epidural now, that given time to relax and time to rest, that'll be enough and I'll be able to have this feedback. But there's also, if not, like if we had done the cesarean path, I've got the epidural in and we're good to go. So I was sort of like, I think on balance, this is the right decision at this moment. And we did that. So, so impressed with the guy who turned up within 15 minutes and had the epidural in in another 10 minutes. Like that was, he was, you know, the fave of the night (laughs) at that point. He was amazing. And I was also really grateful because I remember after like a few contractions in after it was in and I said, I can still feel them. And he's like, yeah, you should be able to feel it, but just not as much. And I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's way better. He was like, okay, cool. (laughs) But because with my first experience, uh, the epidural had totally numbed me. Mm. I had zero sensation at all. And I didn't like that. It was very disembodying. As much as it was a relief at the time, I really didn't appreciate that feeling. But I really liked still being able to feel what was going on, but it just being manageable. Like Yeah. Because, yeah, I could still <laughs> feel things, which was really helpful and really grounding um, when I was, you know, struggling. <laughs> And we reached a point where, so my midwife, my midwife hadn't said to them when we'd come in that I had been um, seven centimeters in the morning. She'd just told them about being five. 
the last time she'd checked. And mm. so they were really encouraging when they put the epidural in and they were like, and great news, you're six centimetres because they obviously, they do a vaginal exam, which I consented to, um, to make sure you're not imminently giving birth yeah. and or as best they can because obviously you can't predict that, you know, perfectly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they were like, you're, you're six centimetres. And I was like, fuck that. I'm still not even, like, where I was this morning. And I was like, yeah, thanks. Super encouraging. Um, but so that was pretty hard because it had been over 12 hours since I'd been, like, seven centimetres. But anyway, I – so I just kind of, yeah, I was upright um, in the bed, like, in, like, a seated sort of position with the epidural in and just hoping that, yeah, that would be enough to let her through. But I, I didn't feel like it was going to happen. Um, and I was also pretty stressed about giving birth vaginally with an epidural in as well. So that was also in the back of my mind. Like I hadn't prepared for this at all. And I'm quite anxious about what that will mean as far as like the potential for an assisted delivery and pushing and whatever else. But then I think at about, yeah, it was close to midnight, doctors, the midwife we had um, came in and said, look, the doctors are going to come around and speak to you in a minute. And I was like, yeah, that seems about right. We've been here about four hours. <laughs> They're wanting to know what's going on. Um, and my midwife, which is another reason like continuity of care is so important because she knew that one of the things I didn't like was not being kept in the loop and being blindsided by things. So when that midwife said that the doctors were coming around, she piped up and said, I'm going to recommend a cesarean, just so you know, that's what is going to happen. And I was like, thank you, that's very helpful. And I sort of said to her, like, well, what, I mean, what else are our options at this point? She's like, honestly, we're running out of them. Um, and I said, would they consider putting up some Cinto? And she said, look, they probably wouldn't. Um, but we, it, and then I think the doctors came in at that point as well. And so she introduced herself and she was really nice. She said, look, this is what we're seeing at this point. We would recommend a repeat cesarean. And I said, yeah, um, definitely understand where you're coming from. Um, I wonder like, you know, if there are any other options, what about putting some Cinto up just to like a tiny bit to see whether that gets my contractions moving because contractions were still spaced apart about 10 minutes at the moment as well. So they hadn't really picked up again. And she's, she kind of, it was clear on the expression on her face that that was like the most terrifying suggestion anyone had ever made. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, and she's like, look, um, it's not what I would recommend. I'm not sure that anybody would agree to do it, but I can speak to the consultants. And I was like, that would be great. And my midwife actually jumped up and she said, how about, yeah, why don't you go and speak to them? We'll have a chat about it here. And I was like, okay, so Joe obviously disagrees with that as an option. <laughs> and um, she then when the doctors left, she said, look, here's, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a woman who does have a previous scar on her uterus, whose uterus has been working really hard now for over 24 hours, which means that it's more susceptible to a rupture anyway. When you add syntocin into the mix, you can overload it and, you know, you, you're much more likely – not much, much more likely, but you are at an increased risk again of a rupture. She said that also you've had really strong contractions all day and this baby is still in the same position it was. It's not like dilation is one thing, right, but also where the baby is in the pelvis, where the baby is in the uterus, how much the uterus has built up the fundus at the top of the uterus, 
and the baby's position as far as its rotation, all different things that can indicate a level of progress. I had basically none of that. So I basically had zero change in progress from 7am that morning. We're now at like midnight that night. And she said, I think at this stage, I start to wonder what's going on in there that we're not privy to, that we can't see, and if there's something going on. And in hindsight, I do feel like so much of it was mental, 100%. And she was also a big baby as well. But I don't believe that in general, it's super, super rare that women would actually not be able to fit a baby in their pelvis that Mm -hmm. they have grown. super super rare it's more likely to be a positioning thing than it is anything else and it's also like emotion plays a huge part um and so I think that that was my biggest issue but I'll never know for certain which is super annoying for me because I like to be very clear about what happened and why but Mm. I can kind of speculate as much as I want um but yeah, her point was basically, if we put syntocin up and you end up, um, you know, forcing that baby down, and it, you end up with a baby in distress, she said, "I just hate to see you with another cesarean and a baby in NICU." And I was just like, "Yeah, yep, totally." And again, one of those moments where I was just so, so grateful for her because I thought this is exactly why I have you here mm. because I know that your interests are not at all in like what the guidelines of the hospital say, what the paperwork of the hospital says. It's all about why, like me and the health and safety of me and my baby. And, you know, that was just so, so valuable at that point. And uh, as soon as she said that, I was like, yeah, 100%, this is obviously what we're doing. Like this is clearly what's going on now. We're going for a cesarean. And so when those doctors... um, when she came back into the room, uh, the first, oh, that's right. I think, actually, I think Joe had said to me, it's okay to cry. And cause I was like, okay, like trying to keep it together. She's like, it's okay to cry. And I just absolutely sobbed. I was like, it's absolute fucking bullshit. I'm like, I tried to do all the right things. And it was pretty like, not one of my finest moments, but very much like exhausted, overwhelmed and just shattered really because I I had felt like I'd done all the inadverted commas right things, you know, and I was like, but these women who just turn up and they've done no preparation because they have these babies out of their vaginas and like, you know, that's not usually the case either. Like mm. women are being traumatised by their births at pretty high rates, all things considered. So but yeah, I was definitely having a pity party. And then Joe was like, okay, all right. And now the pity party's over. And now we're going to talk about what this cesarean needs to look like for you. Like, let's get your, what, what needs to happen, what's important for you. So I had that all kind of, even though I hadn't actively planned it out, I did immediately know, like, I want to see that baby being born because that was one of the moments for me with Flo as much as I was grateful for them giving her the delayed, the full delayed cord clamping until her cord had stopped pulsing, I felt like I missed those first minutes of her life mm. because she was like born here out of my womb and I still hadn't seen her. Like she was just right there but like separated by this curtain and I didn't know her until like minutes afterwards. And so that was something I didn't want this time around I was like no I want to see the baby being born and I remember turning to my husband I was like 
I don't know if you're okay with that, like, because he's a bit funny with blood and everything else. I was like, but you need to be okay with it or don't come in. Like, I don't care. You just need to deal with it. And he was like, I, I didn't say anything. Like, I'm on board. It's fine. <laughs> like, okay, good. <laughs> so I, um, yeah, I was like, I want to see her being born. And so then the doctors came in and she was like, okay. And I think the first thing I said to her was, can you drop the drape? And she was like, uh, yep, yep yes, we can do that. So, uh, so we're having a cesarean. And I was like, we're having a cesarean. I want to see her being born and I want her straight to skin skin. I want delayed cord clamping and I want her to feed in theater. And I don't want to be separated in recovery because that was the other big thing for me. Mm. I wanted to be kept together. Unfortunately, they were really busy that night and they were like, look, we can't really guarantee being kept together the whole way. And I was like, oh, you're killing me. But um, I was like, look, you know, and the midwife we had was really great. She's like, I'll do my absolute best. I'll give you as much time as you can, as I can. And she was really good actually. Cause after Stella was born and she was, she was feeding in theater and she basically said out loud, like, Oh no, she's feeding. I can't take her now. And was like, <laughs> I'll just give you some time, I guess. And I think she ended up giving us about 25 minutes and she said she could probably only guarantee 10. So she did pretty well. Um, but yeah, we, we sort of, we went off to theatre pretty quickly after that. They were like, let's just get you in. And um, the one thing I didn't realise I needed to do, because, again, in my first it hadn't been necessary, was specify my definition of delayed cord clamping. Because as she was born, and it was the most amazing thing to watch this baby, like, being pulled out of me, this, like, gooey, delicious, huge <laughs> monster of baby, <laughs> like, just flopped down on top of me. But then they, um, like, by the time I'm, like, finished taking her in, they were going, okay, that's been a minute, we're clamping and cutting. And I was like, oh, and it was just kind of done before I sort of had a second to get my bearings. And I really intended on that cord to be white and stop pulsing before it was clamped. But um, their definition was one minute. So they were like, yeah, of course we can do delayed cord clamping. That's what they consider delayed cord clamping. So yeah. the tip out there is be very specific about what you mean yeah. uh, when you say that. So that was unfortunate, but, um, she, <laughs> I was, yeah, she was, she was really great. She was feeding in theater and then eventually, um, midwife and my husband went off with Bob and I was in recovery and then midwife reappeared uh, not long after and she had a cup and a syringe in her hand and she was like can you express and I was like um probably like sure let's give it a go what's going on and she was like oh your baby's weighed in at 4.55 kilos and I was like it's pretty big uh yep <laughs> and she said they automatically test her sugars at 4.5 if babies that are over 4.5 and her sugars are low which is not surprising she's been through a big labor you know there's a whole this like a whole other conversation about whether that's physiologically physiologically normal or not um but they were basically pressuring my husband to consent to formula for her and he was like we're definitely not doing that and there was he later told me there was one midwife. There were three other midwives who were advocating for us and there was one midwife who was being really stubborn about it and saying, no, this baby needs formula, which is absolutely not the case. Um, and the mid our midwife who'd been with us earlier in the in the birth unit, she'd run down and got me. She said, if I can get one mil of colostrum from you, I can run up and give it to her. And then by the time you've done we've done that, you'll be up there and you can just put it to the breast and that'll get everybody off your back. 
Mm. I was like, great, let's do that. So she did. Um, we got a meal. She took it up there. Then I was up there very soon after and no more was said about it and it was fine. But, yeah, my husband, poor thing, he was like, yeah, it was pretty full on. <laughs> I was like, fire out. And he said it was so annoying because she was lying on the table, like the examination table where they do all the assessments and stuff, and she was shivering. And the midwife was that was pushing the formula was saying, oh, she's jittery, she's jittery, which is, you know, when um, their blood sugars are low and when it's like pathological and it's sort of symptomatic, I guess, more so than pathological. And he was saying like, well, she's freezing. She's a naked baby lying on a cold table where she's been inside a womb for the last nine months. Mm -hmm. And he said, as soon as she was on my chest, back on my chest, skin to skin, she stopped shivering. Like every, she was completely fine. And it was literally just that she was cold. But and anyway, he did a really good job. And she didn't end up being given formula, um, which was good. And yeah, it was it was a really positive experience overall. Like it was funny being taken back. Uh, I remember being wheeled into the theater and I was thinking like, this is really disappointing, but I also have a very significant sense of peace about it because it was just so different. The circumstances were so completely different in that I really felt like a, I tried everything, absolutely everything. Hadn't left a single stone unturned as far as like what I could physically do that day to try and get this labor to progress. And I'd been supported and encouraged and just given all the information I needed to make decisions that were right for me. And so there was just, it didn't feel like incomplete, you know, it didn't feel like, oh, there weren't a lot of what ifs. Um, yeah. which I think makes a really big difference. It's like, no, I feel like I gave it everything. And even with the benefit of hindsight and things that I've kind of worked through, um, because I did find that I, as I had a lot of positive feelings about Stella's birth, but then all of the negative and traumatic feelings from Flo's birth kind of broke through after that because the magical, peaceful, healing home birth that I'd anticipated didn't eventuate. And it was like, oh, I'm still stuck with these shit feelings about this birth now and no way to resolve them except to actually face them. Mm. So that I feel, um, yeah, it was a really big learning curve for me about like, Hey, you can't actually like outbirth a bad birth. Um, so to speak, like you have to do the mental work in the first place. And I've heard a lot of people, uh, in the VBAC world actually talk about the fact that, their VBAC was uh, like was a redemptive experience, but it didn't heal them from the first birth. And if anything, it made them more angry uh, or more frustrated or more sad about the first birth because they then realised what could have been. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's a really tough one. But I mean, even yeah, even for me, with the benefit of hindsight and having worked through a lot of this stuff and made these kind of discoveries and connections and realizations, I still feel like I did everything I could then. It's a shame that I didn't do all the mental work in preparation, but I did the best job I could have on that day with that birth, given the circumstances and the this position that I was in. And I feel still really good about it and really impressed with how I labored, which was was nice compared to the first experience in my induction where it felt like labor absolutely destroyed me mm. um in my second it was like uh, yeah I met that labor like head on like 
you know, it didn't defeat me. It wasn't the labor so much as it was me, if anything, mm. <laughs> in my way. So, yeah. You're a bloody trooper. Oh, my gosh. Like, being in labor for that long. Good on you. Well done. It's pretty hectic. Um, oh, gotta say but yeah thanks <laughs> we were talking um before we jumped on the line obviously i love that you've really detailed the contrast between the two births and i mean you do explain flo's birth that you had a lot of trauma after that birth but where you're at now three years later you feel like you've resolved a lot of that trauma could you take us through some of the steps or you know, some of the things that you did to help you heal from that birth trauma that may help other women listening? Definitely. Um, so I remember, yeah, I talked about it a lot in my postpartum, which I think helped. Um, like I went over things with my midwife and my doula a lot, um, mostly with Stella's birth. And then I think at one point I said something to my midwife, like, it's just, it's really Flo's birth that I'm pissed about now. And she's like, look, if it's really bad, like, you know, or not if it, even if it's really bad, but just if you feel like you need to talk to someone else about it. Um, the midwife who is supposed to be the second midwife, which is a requirement for um, home birth, they have a second midwife when you're pretty much ready to push out a baby. The woman who is supposed to be our second, uh, she has a business where she's actually got her counselling qualifications and a PhD and whatever else in counselling, and she's got a business called The Birth Council. Um, and she, yeah, my midwife basically said like, you can speak to Athena. She, she's really, really good with this stuff. And I am still speaking to her. Like, what am I nearly 18 months on? Mm -hmm. Um, and I am still speaking like probably, probably every two to four weeks. I sort of have a check-in with her, particularly having gone into birth work now, I really wanted to make sure that I had looked after all of that so that I wasn't bringing it into other people's births and other people's stories because that was really important to me. Um, but yeah, it was really just getting in touch with her and she has been excellent uh, for counselling through that birth experience. But I highly recommend as a first step, like a birth debrief, an official birth debrief with an external person, not something at the hospital because the hospital debriefs are often about explaining and often defending the actions that the hospital took or that the care providers in the hospital took during your birth, which can regularly I hear that women leave those feeling worse because they feel like no one, still no one is listening to how it made them feel. Mm. Whereas an external debrief um B from Core and Floor does them. Um, Rhea Dempsey does them. There's a bunch of different services that do them. I can highly recommend Athena at the Birth Council for that. Um, but also, if you find that the birth debrief is not enough, then continuing into counselling as well. Um, there's also on the COPE website, um, the Centre of Perinatal Excellence, I think it stands for, they have a like a directory of perinatal health professionals where it's like, psychologists that are trained in perinatal health which I think is quite important too just seeing a standard counsellor who doesn't have a real grasp for the impact of birth and birth trauma um, may not be that useful I think finding someone who's more aware of it could be really really important as well yeah um, but yeah that's definitely what I recommend it's unfortunate that it's not just something that's covered by the government or covered by public health generally um, but 
certainly that's the start of it. And even just writing out your birth story could be a good start. Like mm. going through it, noticing when your nervous system kicks in, um, when you're writing it. And that's, that's a sign that there was something traumatic that happened there when you can feel it in your body when you're reviewing it or reliving it. So, yeah, and it's a sign that it might need processing. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing those resources and I'll add them all into your show notes and on the Instagram um, for any women to, you know, get access to those services. But I'd just also like to say, like, good on you for actually doing something about it. Um, you know, you don't have, we shouldn't have to live with those sorts of traumas. So, yeah, well done on you for actually going and getting seeking help um, to to get it resolved. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a bit of a notion of like, um, you know, birth trauma, it's just what we go through to get our babies and it just doesn't need to be the case and we don't need to be suffering from it. So, you know, if you're struggling, don't excuse it. Yeah, like you're allowed to go deal with that. You don't have to just live like that. Yeah, it's and like, you know, saying, oh, well, at least you're healthy and you've got a healthy baby at the end of it. It's not just going to go away. Like it's not going to make you or like the person with the birth trauma or you know if you're talking to someone with birth trauma like saying that thing is not just gonna make their birth trauma just magically disappear like if anything and it also makes it worse because it's reductive of their feelings of like oh well you're right my baby's here and healthy so why am I complaining why do I feel so terrible yeah why do I still feel this way yeah it's just not like a healthy baby and a healthy mother is the minimum we should be looking for um not like the expected max outcome you know that's yeah we should be aiming higher than that women should be coming out of their births transformed empowered strong not not destroyed i agree i was saying um you know for people's hopes of birth of just surviving it is like the bar is on the floor like that is so low you know um, you're allowed to want more for your birth and totally. you know, when things don't go your way, you're you know you're allowed to get help and and feel that feel that way. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um. So before we wrap up, I've got a couple of questions for you. Um. In regards to the price, we were talking about that before. Do you remember how much it cost for you to birth your babies? Yeah. So um, I did kind of do a bit of a rough uh estimate or review I think my first birth I was probably about three to three and a half k out of pocket for my OB um, herself and then a $500 hospital access anesthetist I had a couple hundred bucks calm birth was a few hundred acupuncture and Cairo and scans also cost me so it was probably close to about six or seven grand by the time all of that added up yeah um, and then for my second birth, my private midwife, her fee was 6K, but I got about one and a half back from Medicare. So it was about four and a half out of pocket. My doula was probably one and a half, nearly two. And then I probably spent about a thousand, uh, one, one and a half on acupuncture and Cairo because acupuncture adds up quickly when you're going weekly. Yeah, it turns yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah, so probably about the same, like about that sort of six or seven K out of pocket yeah for each yeah and um, that's with health insurance the first time around too so it definitely wasn't free for me to go private even though I had insurance and that's not counting the cost of the insurance either yeah yeah like it's super expensive to add on add it on sometimes I just 
feel like it's may not be worth it, um, especially yeah. if you've got a really, really good public system, <laughs> like yes. you do on the yeah. Gold Coast. Um, and if you could give one piece of advice to a mama about to embark on this journey, what would it be? Ah, uh, yeah. So one piece of advice, I think just be really considerate about who you're choosing as your care provider and whether their values and philosophy about birth aligns with yours. Um, and know that you, everything is always your decision. It's never, it's often not framed that way, but it is always your decision and you can say no to anything that's given to you you can request things that aren't offered to you if it's really important to you they're all your choices to make it's your birth it's your baby yeah I 100% agree with that and lastly do you have a favorite product that you think was worth the money or you'd recommend yeah I was thinking about this one um I got a lot of stuff secondhand but I have to say that my baby carriers have probably been some of my favorites um like they're they're worth their weight in gold. Maybe yes. a good baby carrier that you can use really easily. Um, I don't. I think there are a lot of good brands out there. I really liked. Um, I had an Ancalia Swift carrier, which I really liked. Um, and I also have a like a half buckle carrier that I can't remember what brand it is. But they're yeah, a good carrier is definitely a worthwhile investment for a, for a new baby particularly if you've got other little ones running around. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I had my baby in the carrier for like the first four months for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caitlin, thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing your story so vulnerably. That was the first time I'd heard it, so I was totally engrossed in it and I, I love to hear all about it. And, yeah, thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you so much for having me. Gosh, I have tried to record this closing part about 20 times now. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it was just such an important episode. Um, and Caitlin has brought up some really, really important topics. The difference between her births was absolutely astronomical. And for my listeners who listen in every week, you know I'm like a broken record with continuity of care. So if you're a first-time mum and you have got a care provider like Caitlin's first obstetrician and you're finding it hard to potentially stand your ground or navigate or you know you're concerned that you're not going to find anyone else trust me you will find someone else um and i recommend that you get rid of them immediately like caitlin explained in her story she just knew that her birth probably wasn't going to go the way that she wanted because she wasn't in alignment or her care provider was not in alignment with Caitlin's values so get rid of them you will always have another option I promise but all fight like do some research see what else is out there um and I promise you won't regret it so the difference between her first and second birth was absolutely incredible having a trusted midwife who knew her body who knew what was best who knew her plan who knew her goal who knew her dream and supported her through that whole labor and through the decision to make and to have a c-section in hospital and caitlin coming out of it feeling so much nicer than her first birth moving on to birth trauma birth trauma is what you say it is 
if you say that you have birth trauma, you have birth trauma. If you, it can come in any way and it can look any sort of way. You can, you could have potentially what you would say like an outsider textbook, perfect unmedicated vaginal birth and still have birth trauma from something that's happened. If you're feeling a little bit anxious or you have got some unresolved trauma or you have got full-blown birth trauma from your birth, please don't just sit on it. There are so many amazing resources and services out there that you can utilize. I will obviously I'll put all of the information that Caitlin and I spoke about in the show in the show notes and on Instagram but I highly encourage you to get help we shouldn't be able to just what society thinks is just move on with it it's one of the most life-changing transformations that we can go through as women is birth like pregnancy and moving into motherhood so if you need some support and help getting through that do it girl please do it i have personally have some friends that have had birth trauma and gone to some support services specialized midwives like like the one that caitlin was saying in the podcast and completely different people completely change their life so please do it for yourself for your baby and for any future babies exactly like caitlin explained in a podcast she was trying to outbirth her birth trauma from her first birth and it didn't work so i highly encourage you to get some help thank you so much caitlin for sharing your amazing amazing story absolutely Absolutely loved today. Very important topics were brought up and you did incredible. You're an amazing mum. I'll tag Caitlin's doula page and everything in the Instagram so you can connect with her if you like, if you're a Sydney gal. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and I will see you next time on the show. The information and opinions presented in this podcast are for educational and entertainment purposes only. While I may discuss pregnancy, birth, and postpartum topics, I'm not a medical professional and the information provided should not be construed as medical advice. I strongly encourage my listeners to consult with their own healthcare provider before making any changes in your pregnancy and birth journey based on the information you hear on this podcast or elsewhere. Remember, the information provided in this podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. If you have any health concerns or questions, please seek the guidance of a licensed medical professional. Thanks for listening. Remember, Mama, you're everything that your baby needs and you're doing an amazing job. Mm